0: Whether you are looking for weekly Bible studies, in-depth courses, or talks related to the faith, you will find it at the ICC. Please check out our upcoming schedule of live online events and engage with us on social media. All are welcome to join our growing international ICC family. For handouts, links, and further study materials, please visit this program's page on our website or app.
1: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the blessings you give us, especially the blessing of this Lent and the Easter that it anticipates. We ask you, Lord, to send your Holy Spirit down upon us now to give us wisdom, discernment, virtue, so that we might truly understand the wisdom of our church's teaching and have the desire to follow our Lord, to follow you, dear Lord Jesus, in the pursuit of that virtue and away from our mortal enemy, Satan. We ask you too, Lord, uh, to give us the desire to bring your word uh, to the culture around us, the culture that so desperately needs the help of your teaching Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome, Father Spencer. Good to have you back with us. Oh, great to be back, Father Hezekiah, and thank you so much. Well, I'm going to do part two of Christ versus Satan in our daily lives. Um, Last time, we left off kind of finishing the usual tactics of Satan. And if you don't mind, I'm going to start there again and do a little bit of repetition. So first of all, uh, just remember the usual tactics of Satan. Uh, This is not possession or obsession or oppression or other kinds of things that we were talking about. This is uh, Satan who is just trying to keep himself cloaked and Satan who's trying to sort of sneak into our lives and to sort of lead us down the primrose path that he uses, first of all, temptation and then deceit And then finally, of course, the objective is always despair. The objective is always to give up. So um, let's just, uh, you know, uh, begin again with temptation for just a moment uh, so we can get a a fix on that. Remember the first rule of all the saints, the quicker that we get to, you know, nipping temptation in the bud, the easier it's going to be. The longer we entertain a temptation, the longer we think about it, the more it engages our imagination. If it engages our imagination, it's going to engage our emotions. If it engages our emotions, it's going to lead more and more decisively toward action because, of course, uh, it's emotion that translates thought into action. So getting it nipped in the bud very quickly is very, very important. The second thing is, uh, as we're resisting temptation, the the thing to remember is we don't have to have kind of a stoic and strong uh, resistance necessarily, you know, with force and with passion. Sometimes the little prayer, which acknowledges weakness, can be the strongest thing in the world. So where we just say, uh, as we're trying to resist temptation... Lord, this is my weakness. So we acknowledge it. And and so maybe we're getting tempted toward whatever it is that's our deadly sin. And as we're getting tempted toward it, we're saying, Lord, this is my weakness. Help me. That's all. Sometimes just saying that about three, four times, it just undermines with both the prayer and the admission of weakness with the humility. It sometimes is far more effective than the stoic power play. Although sometimes, you know, a strong no can be helpful. Uh, sometimes just, Lord, this is my weakness, help me. Uh, saying that three, four, five times can just really undermine Satan's efforts. Uh, remember also that the, uh, uh, Satan, uh, the evil spirit, he is uh, intent on getting uh, to you by the, the, the deadly sin that you're most vulnerable to. And we'll go over those deadly sins in just a moment tonight. But um, he's normally aiming at what you're most vulnerable to. Most of us have three or four that we're more susceptible to uh, out of eight. And probably about three out of eight are probably going to be where he focuses his attention. But sometimes he can bring in something you're uh, completely, you know, you you think you sort of have this under control, that this is not a problem. And he brings it in from the sidelines, uh, you know, just because he is the way he is. Uh, He's uh, always looking, as um, St. Ignatius of Loyola would tell us, as an enemy commander who is trying to find the weakest part of the fortress and dare take it by storm. Uh, The other thing is, remember that Satan provides all the rationalizations. So if you find yourself almost in the midst of, you um, uh, you know, thinking about or entertaining a temptation, if you find yourself sort of thinking, hmm, You know, that's all right. Everybody's doing it. Or one of the usual things, you know, the the Gordon Gecko line. Oh, after all, greed is a very important thing in making the economy work. Or everybody should be proud of what they do. And of course, it's not just being proud of what you do, it's being proud in yourself and elevating yourself above others and lusting to dominate them. Okay, Uh, that's a very different matter, but of course the rationalization. is always custom-made, so it makes the sin feel, oh, so comfortable. It, you know, it, 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 it piques the conscience much less if we can quickly embrace a rationalization, which, of course, Satan will provide being at our elbow. So that's the first thing is temptation, but these are some of the clues from many of our very important saints. The second area that's important is the whole area of deceit. I don't have to tell you the, the, that the evil spirit definitely, is, as Jesus says very bluntly, he has is a liar and a murderer, especially a liar from the very beginning. There's nothing truthful in him. So just a few of the items to always watch out for. Uh, the commissions are many times, you know, to, to commit a sin, right? A, a positive sin it's easier to recognize that kind of thing as sinful you know you're more resistant to his lies about that so that the, the evil spirit frequently uh, uses omission so that's his his key area he wants to uh, get you to to you know maybe uh, uh, omit and you know a fact or omit something um, you know a truth that really is important in uh, seeing the ethical uh, interplay and seeing the virtue issue uh, in the area. And so he's a great master of errors of omission and sins of omission. He's a great uh, master uh, of them. Uh, and, and, and along with, the, you know, of course, the, uh, the deceit um, uh, moment, uh, uh, too, is uh, the, the evil spirit very much loves to come to as an angel of light. And we're going to talk about that in the next section. So I'm going to bypass that whole area of of, uh, coming as an angel of light. But what I do want to get to is he always lies about the outcomes of the sin. So, you know, we'll see when I talk about the eight deadly sins in just a moment. In the case of Anna Karenina, you know, she's... You know, she's thinking about this is beautiful. What could be wrong with this? You know, it's just a mere matter of adultery and abandoning my husband and abandoning my children, you know, etc. But the idea, though, is that this is going to be heaven. This is beautiful. God couldn't possibly be against something like this. Or there's always the idea of nothing's really going to happen. Nobody's going to discover this. I mean, you know, I've got already plausible deniability with X and Y and Z. And, of course, all this is being given to you by way of rationalization. But what you think the whole time as you're entertaining things, you are being fed, uh, you know, a host of different uh, lies that are the outcomes of sin. Uh, You know, as Jesus says, I'm telling you right now, there's nothing uh, that has been uttered in the dark, that's not going to be shouted in the light, et cetera, et cetera. you know, shouted from the rooftop. So remember, uh, you know, Jesus used that blunt imagery because he wants people to see Satan's lie. And of course, Satan's biggest lie is the lie about God himself. Remember your key, you know, image to always come back to, the key image is always the father of the prodigal son. Jesus' definitive revelation of who God his father, his Abba, is. And so the idea then is always, when you've got an image of God conjuring up in your mind, and it doesn't seem to be consistent with the father of the prodigal son, who really did forgive his son completely, and without penalty, um, you know, invites him back into the house, After he has done everything wrong, betrayed the family, betrayed his election in this country, betrayed Torah and God, and even lived with the pigs—very ritually impure animals—he takes him back in. There's your real God, and of course, the God who's the payback God, you know, the God who's the disgusted God, you know, you know, who's disgusted with everything you've done, or. Uh, the God who's the stoic God, I've been waiting for 15 years, and still you lag behind. You know, I just can't stand it. Harder, faster, better, more. That's what I want. Gosh. And out comes the whip, et cetera, et cetera. The whole idea of the terrifying God and the God who's simply bent on retribution, you know, you're going to pay for this, et cetera. Remember, all those false notions of God are designed to move you to one. They're lies that are designed to move you toward abandoning God, running away from God, not being able to go to confession, not believing that you will, uh, you know, um, not be forgiven. And of course, the ultimate result of all the lies is to finally get you to run so hard. You finally, uh, you know, move away from God or fall into despair, give up hope, etc. So those are his major lying tactics. Now, finally, of course, the area that um, should also be um, looked at uh, very seriously is this area of discouragement and despair. Because as a, as I said, you know, last week, real quickly, you know, his when the devil is encouraging you to sin, it's, hey, you know, uh, sin strongly, don't worry, you know, I mean, uh, uh, you owe it to yourself, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, the minute you fall into sin, your conscience is peaked. then all of a sudden, what does he do? You little wretch, of course you did this, because you're a weak, no good for nothing. I mean, God truly can't stand your repulsive little image of course, you should recognize that he's sick and tired of you. So remember, you know, God's going to be OK with it. Don't worry about it. You know, everybody's doing it. And then the bait and switch, right? Uh, at the end of the day, he can't stand you. You failure, you repulsive little wretch. And then, of course, the hope is to push you into despair. Okay, those are his chief uh, regular tactics. Let's now go to um, uh, the discernment of spirits, because this is very important. And St. Ignatius of Loyola gives it a great deal of time. And the reason that he does is because people are growing in the spiritual life. The people who are on the, um, the uh, uh, show today, the, uh, the uh, lecture today, Most of you are what we're going to call people of the second week. Uh, You wouldn't be people of the first week uh, and and give up a perfectly good Tuesday night uh, listening to uh, Spitzer unless you were already on the road to conversion. But this is very, very important in understanding the tactics of the Holy Spirit versus the tactics of the evil spirit. So here's the first thing. There are, first of all, when people start off, they're always in the first week uh, for Ignatius. And that just refers to the first week of the spiritual exercises. But what that means, essentially, is that you're kind of living a life of sin. You're rationalizing the life of sin. You're thinking that there's no consequences uh, whatsoever. The emptiness, the alienation, the loneliness, and the dread that you feel You just think, oh, this is just some sort of temporary thing. Maybe there's a little guilt out there, but uh, basically, I'm enjoying life and I don't know where God is, but he's not around me. And so uh, you're kind of moving along uh, the lines. And maybe you even believe all the secular myths about, uh, you know, God, uh, not you, but a person believes in the secular myths that, you know, there's no evidence for God, there's no evidence for the soul, there's no evidence for Jesus. It's all a big fiction anyway. And of course, as you blithely go along, here is what to recognize. The evil spirits tactic for a person in the first week is to embolden them, to encourage them, to reinforce them, and to give them all of the rationalizations that they need for that encouragement and and emboldening. So the evil spirit is out there. He is the rah-rah cheerleader. He's moving you forward, giving you the rationalizations, giving you a ton of consolation around it. Isn't this great? Don't you feel powerful? Don't you feel just great? I mean, you're on top of the world. All the gals love you or whatever. Uh, you You know, everybody's recognizing you. I mean, you are, you know, a veritable Frank Sinatra, top of the heap, New York City kind of guy. And, of course, all of that, you know, produces good feelings, but not completely good feelings. Because what is the Holy Spirit doing in for a person in the first week? Well, he's doing the exact opposite of Satan. So what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's saying, you're separating yourself from God. And as you separate yourself from God, just remember this. It's God who is your creator. It is God who is your fulfillment. It is God who is your ultimate companion in this life and in eternity. It is God who is love. So as you separate yourself from the teaching of Jesus as you separate yourself from God, notice you're separating yourself from love, from the source of your creation, from the fulfillment of your being, and from, of course, uh, your uh, your eternity. And He is the goodness that stands behind your conscience. So, what do, does the what do you feel as you begin to withdraw, as you put a wall up between you and the Holy Spirit? A wall up between you and our Lord Jesus Christ. What begins to happen? You begin to feel emptiness and alienation and loneliness and dread. You know not why. You know, and so you just sort of say, "Gosh, you know, I, I know I'm feeling all this stuff. I, I, I don't know why I'm feeling all this stuff, but I, I do. But, uh, but at the same time, wow, I'm having a super." Neat time. I'm at the top of the heap, New York City, but, you know, I just feel like I want to jump off the cliff the next day. You know, what's happening to me? And above all, I feel almost a Kafka-esque kind of guilt. You know, I, I just, you know, I, I just feel all the time like I'm out of sorts with the whole of reality, that everything surrounding me is a kind of a darkness, but I'm happy. I've got everything I want. If I'm lustful, I got lust. If I'm greedy, I've got the object of my greed. If I'm uh, angry, I've got my vengeance and I've got, you know, I've made my anger known. If I'm proud, oh, I'm dominating people and just loving it. If I'm vain, I am the center of attention and everybody loves me. You get the point. So, of course, you are in a great state of feelings of conflict. Because the, Satan is doing one set of emotions, trying to encourage and embolden. Holy Spirit is, you know, getting more and more distant. And the, our Lord Jesus Christ is getting more and more distant. And as you do, you're distant from your source of creation. You're distant from uh, your fulfillment. You're distant from that companionship with the Lord. You're distant from his love. You're distant from everything that he wants to bestow upon you in your hope. You're distant from everything that matters in your eternity. And that feels rotten. Little wonder, then, when the American Psychiatric Association did all those studies, little wonder that religiously non-affiliated or unaffiliated people, that's religiously unaffiliated people, have significantly higher rates Of depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, suicide, substance abuse, familial tensions, and malaise. So, not surprising emptiness, alienation, loneliness, dread, and guilt. That's why, I mean, you're separated from God and it feels horrible. But notice that it's kind of a vague horror, it's kind of a vague dread right? And whereas the other stuff, you know, oh, getting the object of my lust or my greed or my vanity, et cetera, that's kind of a higher high. It's a a more superficial on the surface feeling, but it feels pretty powerful, but still there's the haunting underpinning. So there's a, this is how the evil spirit and the Holy Spirit are working. Now, says Ignatius, uh, you move to the second week. So that's you, basically, all the people who are listening tonight. So the now you 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 say to yourself, you know what, I can't stand this life. I can't stand the emptiness. I can't stand the depression. I can't stand the malaise. And then all of a sudden you, you, you make a decision. Somehow in the back of your mind, you know, divine providence kind of guides you maybe back towards your church or maybe uh, guides a person uh, who you know in your life to just say, hey, have you ever thought about coming to church with me or something? And, you know, you might think, oh, that's just a ticket. That, that just might help me out of my depression. Or my, that just, maybe that's what I need to, to, to just get back into sorts again. Everything's so dark and lonely and cold out there. You know, maybe, maybe if I, I go back to church, all of a sudden, ooh, you start uh, moving over toward the second week. And the second week is the conversion moment where you decide, okay, I'm not just going to think about God. I'm not just going to religiously affirm God. I'm going to do what Father Hezekiah was just talking about. I'm I'm going to start, you know, taking this seriously. I'm going to do something. And I'm going to really take Jesus' teaching seriously and really do something to follow it. Now, once you have that resolve and even that commitment to do something, you are now moving into the second week. Now, when you're just a novice in the second week, as you know, it's very easy to flip back into the first week. But as you continue, you know, following your commitments, continue to follow uh, the Lord right in in, in Jesus's teachings and go to the sacraments as often as you can. Notice what happens. You get stronger and stronger on the road to the second uh, of the second week. And it's harder and harder to flip back into the first week, though you can. You can even flip back to the first week when you're very far along. But that's a rare thing. And normally the snapback, you recognize it because if you start falling off the road, if you're pretty far along in the second week and you start falling off the road in the second week, guess what happens? You feel that emptiness, alienation, loneliness and dread just like that. I mean, it comes upon you. You notice it and you go, ah, I hate this feeling. I hate being separated from God. I terribly dislike this emptiness and the darkness and this dread that I feel, this utter loneliness that I feel in myself. I hate it. And so, of course, you switch back. You go to the Sacrament of Reconciliation. You go to communion. But the further along you get on the second week, the better off you're going to be. Now, the quick thing to remember Notice that now the devil's and the Holy Spirit's tactics go opposite from the first week. So now, um, in, the, in the second week, what's Satan doing when you're in the second week? He's trying to stop you at all costs. So what he's going to do is he's going to, first of all, uh, trouble you, right, in your heart. So he's going to um, he's gonna try and give you nightmares. And you're going to say, what's all this? I'm trying to improve my life. I'm trying to deepen my conversion and I get nightmares. What's that all about? So, of course, the minute you have that kind of thing going on, then uh, you have to recognize um, that don't worry about that. That thing's trying to discourage you from deepening your conversion or, you know, he will point out. So some little thing will happen to you. So you'll try and do X and you'll have a hard day at work or you get in an argument with your spouse, or something will happen, and you just go, here I am trying to convert, and look at what's happening to me. I just, every time I turn around, it's nothing but trouble and suffering, you know, and you want to get that St. Teresa of Avila phrase out of your mouth, right, you know, if this is the way you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few, you know, and see, uh, and of course, don't do that. The main thing to do when you start, you know, you if you're on the road to conversion, don't let anything daunt you. Just be a general patent about moving forward. Despite, you're going to get tribulations. I can tell you this right now. You're going to get nightmares. You're going to get attacks. You're going to get, you know, blockings of things that you think should happen to you, you're gonna get some sufferings out of the blue. He's gotta they say he's gotta discourage you. He's gonna try and put everything, you know, he's gonna uh, push you to the limit and get you, try to get you to turn around and just go, I give up. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Because it's really hard at first when you start the second week. But as you get further along, you recognize that little tail slithering away. You know who is up to these kinds of antics. Now, the next thing to remember is what the Holy Spirit is doing when you're in the second week, because the Holy Spirit is going to bring on consolations, not just felt consolations, but listen to these things that are going to happen. If you stay on the road the second week, first of all, you're going to get an increase in trust in God. You're going to get an increase in hope in your salvation. Love is going to be easier and easier for you. So we're going to talk about this in just a moment. But in other words, you you take the 1 Corinthians 13 test. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is merciful. Doesn't grow angry. Blah, 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 blah. So now you take the 1 Corinthians 13 test and you're beginning to say, is it easier for me? Just even baby step easier just a little bit easier for me to be patient. It's a little bit easier for me to be gentle-hearted with people. It's a little bit easier for me to be kind. Now, maybe you're the type of person who doesn't suffer fools gladly, and maybe you're the kind of person who figures, you know, uh, I just can't stand being around inferiors. I got to punch them in the mouth just to let them know who's boss. Well, I'll tell you this, you move on the road to the second week, you feel horrible about these things, terribly guilty about them afterwards. That's a good sign. But the main thing is take the baby steps, because if you do take those baby steps, if you figure out ways of trying to hedge yourself off at the past, right, notice what happens. You get reinforced. And so, of course, it becomes easier and easier for you to practice charity. Easier and easier for you to resist temptations, even temptations toward your favorite deadly sins, and therefore easier and easier to become the new man, as St. Paul would call it, the new self, um, as the new translations would call it, right? So you're moving from the old self to the new self, and the Holy Spirit is just fueling this. He's not going to take away all the devil's attacks and things like that because you're still a free person. God has to let you be tempted, and so you will be tempted, and he's going to try and throw up obstacles and things like that. You and your freedom have to choose. Am I going to interpret this like God has abandoned me, or am I going to interpret this as Satan is doing his usual thing, and I'm going to be resilient, and I'm moving through. I don't want to get any dispatches saying we're holding our position. We're not holding anything. I'm moving forward. If that's the case, if that's where what you're doing, I'm telling you, you will progress on the second week. You will then see that it becomes easier and easier to resist temptation. You'll see it's easier and easier to practice charity, even if you're the type of person who doesn't suffer fools gladly, et cetera. Okay, so that's the main thing to um, remember, um, you know, on this first and second week. You're already people the second week. Don't let the devil get to you. Follow the consolation, the spiritual consolation, and the affective consolation of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to make that distinction. Let's go to our next point here, which is the distinction between affective consolation and desolation. Versus spiritual consolation and desolation. As you might expect, the word affective means feeling, right? Emotion, something along those lines. So emotional consolation, you can pretty much figure it. That's that sense of love and peace and joy and sacredness and deep, you know, kind of sense of God's presence, right? The opposite of emptiness, alienation, and loneliness, Okay, so so affective consolation is a feeling of being almost in God's presence. And when you're in God's presence, there's that peace, there's that joy, there's that sense of real sacredness, of mystery, of, of love, uh, you know, that's, that really has God's signature on it. That's affective or emotional consolation. Emotional desolation, just talked about it, right? That's the emptiness, the alienation, the loneliness, the dread, the guilt. The darkness, et cetera. So that's uh, you know, which results in depression, anxiety, malaise, et cetera. Okay, so that's the emotional desolation. Now, um, that's different from spiritual. Uh you're probably wondering why, why are you making all these distinctions? Because it's really important to getting the next four rules for the discernment of spirit. So hang tight and you'll see it in just a moment. So, what is spiritual consolation? Remember, spiritual des- uh, spirit- uh, uh, affective consolation is emotional joy, peace, love, uh, sacredness, mystery. Okay, spiritual consolation is an increase in trust in God, an increase in hope in your salvation, and an increase in um, uh, love—the capacity to act charitably. And finally, an increased capacity to resist temptation to become the new person, the new self. Okay, so these four things, those are your clues. So which spirit are you following? Well, if you find yourself trusting in God more, hoping in your salvation more, um, uh, of, you know, the capacity to uh, act charitably more, and uh, the capacity to resist temptation, especially those temptations toward the deadly sins that are you're most vulnerable to, you are definitely following the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit will give you these true spiritual gifts that will help you along the road that that uh, you know of the second week. Now you go to spiritual desolation, and as you might expect, it's exactly the opposite of Spiritual consolation. So spiritual desolation um, would be a decrease in trust in God. So if you find yourself saying, wow, uh, all God wants out of me is harder, faster, better, more. Uh, You know, God, you know, hates me. He's disgusted with me. Or all of those false notions of God that I was just talking about, the disgusted God, the payback God, the terrifying God, the stoically indifferent God. Uh, you know, et cetera. Uh, The angry God is, who is, you know, uh, retributive, et cetera. If that's what you're, you're, you know, it's all going to break down trust, right? So if you're sitting there thinking that, oh boy, you're probably not following the Holy Spirit. You're probably following the evil spirit, even though you don't intend to do it, even though, and and we're going to get to this in the rules for consolation, even though you might be in the second week uh, as we'll see in a moment, you're getting hoodwinked by the evil spirit coming as an angel of light. But I got to explain that in a minute. The main thing to remember is that's not a good sign to have a decreased trust in God and uh, move away from the God as the father of the prodigal son to one of the false notions of God. No good. That's the evil spirit is behind that one. Secondly, if you're thinking God with respect to hope, if you're thinking you know that God is up in heaven going, hmm, Spitzer. Heaven, hell, heaven, hell. Eh, I really don't care. Hell for Spitzer. If that's what you're thinking he is like, stoically indifferent, disgusted, could care less, think of you as a little wretch. Anyway, if that's what you're thinking and your hope right is waning, then that's not the Holy Spirit you're following. That is definitely the evil spirit. He's the only one who wants to push you toward despair. He's the only one who wants to push you to discouragement. Surely not the Holy Spirit. Let's go to love. So if you find yourself, you know, saying, let's take the 1 Corinthians 13 test. How am I doing in patience? Well, I've been much more impatient these these days than last week. I've been much more unkind these days. And I've been absolutely unmerciful and unforgiving these days. But I have some compensating uh, things that are happening. I'm more boastful. I'm more angry. I'm more da, da, da da That's not good. Uh, that basically indicates that your capacity for charity. You're following the wrong spirit. It's the evil spirit, as Saint Ignatius would say, rather than the Holy Spirit. Finally, of course, you say, "How am I doing on resisting temptation?" I'm turning into a jello. i I'm turning into a noodle. I got no resistance whatsoever. I can't even anticipate when I'm getting tempted here. I'm getting blasted. That's not good. That means somehow the uh, evil spirit is getting to you. Even if you're on the road to the second week, remember the evil spirit has his tactics for trying to get to you. So at least now here's four rules for the discernment of spirits really important to remember. Uh, Ignatius to Ignatius would emphasize these above all other rules. Number one, never make an important decision or discernment in times of affective and especially in times of spiritual desolation. So if you're in a mode where you have a decreased trust in God, decreased hope and salvation, decreased capacity for charity and love, And a decreased capacity to resist temptation, best not to make an important decision in times of that kind of desolation. And if you have to, if you're confronted with having to make that decision, you can't delay it, find two people who you consider your most spiritually grounded friends or colleagues or spiritual director and ask them. Because if you're, you know, if the evil spirit has got you, you know, kind of, if he's kind of pounding on you, you know, black becomes white and white becomes black, says St. Ignatius. You're in a state of confusion and even a confusion that you don't even know about. You think you're clear-headed, but you're not spiritually clear-headed because the evil spirit has his, is having his way. He's either kind of Uh, pushing you backwards, discouraging you in some way. Even if you're in the second week, you can always flip back to the first week. It's, you know, he, first of all, he tries to get you to go back to your old friends or your old ways. Uh, When you crossed over into the second week, evil spirits always trying to get you to go back. And especially to go back to the old friends that used to encourage you in first week conduct. But if you're beyond that, right? If you kind of have moved beyond those friends, or you've moved beyond, you know, a lot of that stuff, you know, where you got to turn on the internet and get some um, pictures or something. If you're beyond that sort of stuff, and you still find, you know, there's something going on, then there's probably two other reasons uh, why, um, uh, you know, how the, the the evil spirit is getting to you. Either he's getting to you through some form of discouragement. Or he's getting to you through some form, right? Like, so he's giving you a nightmare and you're sucker punching for it. You're kind of believing that God has abandoned you. Or he gives you some kind of obstacles in your path and you sort of believe, oh, you know, God's abandoned me and, uh, and so forth and so on. And so maybe that's one way he got to you and it's possible. But another way that he comes is he comes appearing as an angel of light. And St. Paul tells us this, and St. Ignatius tells us this. So what does that mean that the devil is appearing as an angel of light? Here you are. You're a person of the second week. You're trying to stay on the road to conversion and even deepen your road to conversion. So what does the devil do? He goes, okay, Spitzer is making progress here, and he's not going to get suckered by discouragement of the easy kind, and he's certainly not going to go... Um, and get back to his old friends or his old habits that were back. So what can I do? What can I know what I will do is I will come to Spitzer and I'll just say, okay, um, uh, Bob, uh, let's be realistic here. Um, you know, you've done a little bit of progress and that's kind of good. But if a little bit of progress is good, then a lot more progress is better. So let's take all of the eight deadly sins. And, you know, if you really were pious, if you really were on the road to conversion, I mean, you could take care of all these deadly sins overnight. Just, you know, amp up your exam and prayer. I mean, yeah, you know, you could do it. You can deal with greed and lust and gluttony and vanity and anger. And, and you can do the whole lot. And by the way, I mean, you know, if you really are, you know, you get that temptation of Jesus in the desert, if you really are the Son of God, if you really are on the road to conversion, then, of course, you could do it next week. Now, you might think to yourself, nobody would think that. Nobody would sucker for that. People sucker for that. You can sucker for that. There's absolutely, you know, the idea of pushing you. Remember, every heresy said, Chesterton is merely an exaggeration of the truth, and the devil is a master at it. He knows how to get you over your ski. He knows how to get you um, to the point where you think you can do more than you can do, or you think you're more pious than you really are, or you think you should be more spiritual than you really are, or whatever the case may be. It's his favorite approach. So the main thing to remember is that when he is pushing you in that direction, the main thing to do is resist it. Because if you don't resist it, you will wind up being discouraged. You will wind up giving up. You will wind up changing your view of God from the father of the prodigal son to the false notions of God. So this is really, really important. And St. Ignatius says, if you find yourself in spiritual desolation and you're in the second week, listen to this, if you find yourself in spiritual desolation, decrease in trust, hope, and love, the capacity to act charitably, and resistance to temptation, if you find yourself in spiritual desolation and you're in the second week on the road to conversion, Ignatius says, you've got to go through the checklist. Are you getting off on the wrong road? Are you flipping back? toward your old friends or toward your old habits. If it's not those two things, then Ignatius comes back and he says, "Okay, have you been sucker-punched by the devil coming to you as an angel of light, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. There is one other reason why you could feel desolation, and that could all could be that um your spiritual uh, what you think is spiritual desolation isn't, but we'll get to that when we get to the fourth world. for the fir- fourth the, the, just remember this right now. Check those things out. Check out the discouragement factor. Check out whether you were thinking about something or over ambitious towards something or doing something like that, um, you know, and and so forth. So be really shrewd uh, in your own sort of spiritual discernment. Okay. uh, next thing says Ignatius, beware of false consolations. What is a false consolation? False consolation is when you feel, that's emotional consolation, right? You feel good. You 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 feel like you're at the top of the world. You feel like things couldn't be better. You feel like your relationships are great. You feel fantastic, almost like God must be moving me. I feel so great. But at the same time that you are feeling these things, there's a what's called spiritual desolation, right? A net decrease in trust and hope and love and resistance to temptation. So something is wacko. Those feelings of consolation are false feelings of consolation. The devil is trying to feed those to you so that eventually you will decrease in trust, hope, and love, and eventually resistance to temptation. And he can flip you back to the first week or or cause enough discouragement to get you to despair. So beware of false um, uh, consolations. Now, the fourth thing is, what about when you feel desolation? So that would be you feel depression and emptiness in a desert and alienated and so forth and so on. You have these feelings of real affective desolation. Could it be that you would at the same time be increasing and trusting God? and increasing in hope in your salvation, and increasing in the capacity for charity, and even increasing in resistance to temptation, while you're feeling all of these miserable, in the desert, desolation feelings? Can this be possible? Yes. that This is what we call the very beginning point of the dark night of the soul. That's too much for me to talk about today. But remember, the dark night of the soul... That's when you are moving from the purgative way to the illuminative way. And as you're moving from the purgative to the illuminative way, remember this. There's got to be a purification process because you can't do it all by yourself. So God's got to help you a little bit. And so he's going to wean you off of uh, some of these feelings of consolation. And I know it's horrible when it happens. But um, it, it's not necessarily going to be like, you know, the dark night of the soul of Mother Teresa, which lasted a very long time, or of uh, Teresa of Lisieux, which lasted maybe six months before they, you know, she died, which was pretty long, you know, not nearly as long as Mother Teresa, but pretty long time. Uh, most For most of us that are in active ministries and things of that nature, uh, God does not have these very protracted, dark nights of the soul. But it can happen. But what it is, is a purification process. And if you stay faithful, if you offer up all that desolation, if you stay on the road, even though you don't feel like God is around, and you just feel like God is abandoning, you just stick with it. And you just hold tight to your prayer life and to going to communion and, and going to the Sacrament of Reconciliation Following the teaching of Jesus. And even though you don't feel like anything's going on, and sometimes you feel even as foreboding, stick with it because what's going to happen is you're going to get purified. You're not going to be reliant on God's feelings of consolation. And eventually, what's going to happen is an increase in trust in God, increase in hope in your salvation, increase in capacity for charity, increase in resistance to temptation. It's a tough road, it's hard to do, but that's what happens. Okay. So that is the crash course in discernment of spirits, but you get the main points from that. If you like, uh, you get this free book um, if you sign up for it. Uh, Christ versus Satan in in, um, in our daily lives. That book, if you go to chapter four, there is your discernment of spirits chapter. Okay, let's go now uh, very quickly to Satan's tactics in the culture. This is a very important uh, area. I don't have a huge time, but let's face it, we all know what woke is. We all know what's going on in the culture today. We all know that black is white and white is black. We all know that all the, the, the eight um, uh, deadly sins have been turned into the coin of eight deadly virtues and, and you know by uh, you know, the culture and, and that uh, all the virtues have been turned into uh, you know uh, sin. So what is going on here you know with all of this not just the wokeism, but the secularism, the materialism, the unbelief, the culture of death, the culture of narcissism, and the culture of unbelief. I mean, the three things are hitting us right between the eyes. How did Satan pull this up? The first thing is, is Satan has created what I call the new cultural alliance. And the new cultural alliance starts with the educational establishment, not just the higher education establishment, secondary educational established, primary uh, educational. I mean, they're taking over the primary school, uh, public primary schools, at least, and even some, frankly, religious school. And then the you know, we've also got the marketing establishment, the social media establishment, the traditional or mass media establishment. We've got the legal establishment. And, and it's not just that everybody's getting on board with wokeism. Everybody's getting on, I mean, certainly the arts and literature establishment. Everybody's getting on The um, the secularism agenda on the materialism agenda on the ego comparative advantage agenda on the culture of death agenda and on the woke agenda. I mean, Satan is having a field day in our culture. He's got people bamboozled to the limit, and now all these strange bedfellows are now coming together as a kind of a new alliance. Okay, enough said on that. So, who's battling? What's the last great bastion um, that is battling um, this uh, cultural influence? It's the churches. The churches alone are battling against this. They are standing alone. And that's why, honestly, Satan is redoubling his efforts on the secular agenda. I mean, the, the culture of unbelief among our youth is. huge right now. I'll talk about that in just one second. It need not be because God has given us enough evidence. We got to get it out there. But right now, our young kids, they labor uh, under huge increases in depression and anxiety and, and, and suicides, etc. I mean, w- before COVID, we were talking about a 60% increase almost for, uh, over one decade, 60% increase over one decade in uh, uh, kids who are 25 and under. This is horrible. But what is happening? What's happening are these various uh, items that I'm going to talk about. But remember, the churches are being attacked. The Catholic Church in particular is being attacked. It's anachronistic. It's out of step. It's out of the mainstream. It's unsophisticated. It's just a bunch of blockheads. It's a bunch of you know, people who don't know what they're talking about. It's anti-science. It's all false. But the new media, social media, the uh, traditional media has definitely put put on a full-court press. Instagram, TikTok, you name it, uh, Facebook, everything has been just the full-court press is on to marginalize churches, to marginalize religion. And if that weren't enough, Uh, The scandals, you know, I mean, we've got scandals that have come into play, and those scandals are the devils using them for everything they're worth to, you know, confirm people's quote-unquote suspicions about religion uh, and the church, and especially our church, the Catholic church, etc. Okay, so what were the content moves that the evil spirit made that we can counter. And the first move, of course, he had to dislodge belief. We had a culture of belief before uh, the 1960s, before the sexual revolution, the culture of belief you know, in, in America uh, you know, is very strong. And that's why we still have a very strong culture of belief today, but it's an older and older population that are representing that culture of belief. The sexual revolution was the devil's great ploy. And then, of course, the freedom revolution, everything that was embraced by the 1960s and brought to an extreme, which finally, of course, you know, required uh, the the ultimate sort of Nietzschean Marxist objective. You got to let go of God if you're going to be truly free. That's Nietzsche. You got to let go of God if you're going to make social progress. That, of course, is Marx you got to let go of God if you're going to be sexually liberated. That's Freud. And so the Freudian, Nietzschean, Marxist agenda uh, was embraced by the 60s, put into a cool kind of fabric. And now, of course, it's broadcast through the social media more than any other one. And all the advertisements in Hollywood especially went crazy with it. All these things, you can see uh, what has happened. And now you've, we've gotten ourselves into an unbelief pickle. The I, whole reason I started the maja Center, the whole reason was to counteract that. There is more evidence today for God from contemporary physics than at any other time, contemporary science and contemporary uh, philosophy. There is more evidence for God, uh, empirical evidence from medical studies and from scientific studies for a, a transcendent soul today than ever before. And there's more evidence for Jesus Christ especially, you talking about the scientific investigation of the Shroud of Turin, most amazing uh, image. All I can say is I'm begging people, go to CredibleCatholic.com. That's a module center website, CredibleCatholic.com. Everything's free of charge. Just click on the seven essential modules. Just click on that. Just sit down with your kids and show your kids the evidence. It's in kind of 35-minute video segments. Show it to the kids. Watch it with your kids. Uh, There's workbooks. They're all free of charge. Everything's there. Everything's free. But don't let them buy the package before they get into college. We've got good tests, not only beta tests. Now we've got good longevity tests that show this. We've got a new, um, uh, we're working with Sophia Institute for Teachers right now. They're putting together our senior year curriculum. So the first year senior is the Evidence for God from Science. Uh, with the Sophia people, they put together the lesson plans and everything. Bring that Sophia Apologetics One curriculum into your school. It'll be ready in July of this year. And then Sophia Institute's doing our Moral Apologetics curriculum, uh, which where we showed you know that that, that um, you know the, the the truth of the church is teaching. Why is it that if you embrace a homosexual lifestyle or transgenderism, you you can expect an increase in suicides? Uh, you know, uh, by five times in the case of um, of a homosexual lifestyle, um, you know, to forty percent of the population contemplating suicide. Right? This is this is uh, amazing. And also in transgenderism, a whopping increase at ten years after the se- uh, the sexual surgery, twenty times higher suicides and so forth and so on. Well, we go through that. We try to explain it. That's the second semester of the senior year. Again, Sophia. Is doing the lesson plans, the textbooks, so it's not the wonky Professor Spitzer who's trying to, um, uh, you know, to speak to the young people. Sophia really has professionalism, and now Sophia is also working on our middle school uh, curriculum. So we've got a seventh and eighth grade curriculum. Actually, it's fifth to ninth grade curriculum that's coming out from Sophia as well. But the point is, we got to get that out there. We, we're the disciples. We got to come back. Uh, the devil's work in this culture of unbelief. So it's really critical. The second thing I've already talked about in my last, remember last year when I was talking about healing the culture and all of that. And remember I was talking about happiness level one and two and happiness levels three and four. Just a brief review, level one happiness is physical, material, pleasure, and happiness. Bowl of linguine. Uh, Happiness level two is ego comparative advantage. Who's achieving more, who's achieving less, who's got more power, who's got less power, who's got more status, less status, more intelligence, less intelligence, more athleticism, less athleticism, more beauty, less beauty, right? I'm living to be uh, superior to other people of whatever level I've got some advantage. So I'm turning that into my, you know, when I die, I died with the most toys and the most status. And the most IQ, I was better than Frank and Mary and Harry, big deal, right? I mean, it'll all amount to pure emptiness because it's worthless at the end of the day. If we don't use the gifts that we have, if we don't use them with every fiber of our being to do an optimal positive good, here we get to level three. So level three is contributive happiness. That's where I'm trying to make an optimal positive difference in my life optimal positive difference to my family, to my friends, to my church, to the kingdom of God, to my organization, to my community, and if I'm so lucky, even to the culture, to the society. And finally, of course, I don't have to tell you, level four happiness, that's when we get on the road to conversion, the second week, we're getting closer and closer to God, we're getting that sense of moving into the illuminative way, and, and of course, as we do, there's both uh, affective consolation, true spiritual consolation. As we're moving uh, in, in this way, there, this is a, a happiness which is lasting, a happiness which is the purification of love, a happiness that enables us to follow the word of Christ uh, faithfully, a happiness that is going to lead to our eternity. I mean, when we get to heaven and we're completely purified in our love, there won't be one single ounce, one single scintilla of egocentricity that will obscure our vision of the beloved God and the beloved other. Not one. And there's no uh, ego that will obscure uh, um, uh, others' vision of us. So, I mean, what what is that? It's a pure joy that will make time stand still for an eternity. So that, you know, and just being with people under those circumstances is nothing but joy. But we have to be purified. And that's right. So what's the devil's uh, project? You can see he has been utterly victorious in the last 30 years, especially even from the time of the 60s. Ego comparative happiness has become the rule of the day. And of course, it began in the 60s, but it has been accelerating through the 80s. And of course, it's here in space. But kids recognize it. If you start talking about the comparison game, and that is the trick. So what can you do to combat this with your kids? Go to CredibleCatholic.com. Go click on the seven essential modules once again. This time, go to module number six on the four levels of happiness. That's the one you want to get to so that they can see those problems of the comparison game. So they can see, oh, my gosh, you know. I really see in myself, not just who's achieving more, who's achieving less, who's got more power, less power. I feel the jealousy and the fear of failure and the fear of loss of esteem and the inferiority at one moment and the superiority in the next moment. I feel the ego rage. I feel the ego blame. I feel the emptiness and the alienation. I feel it all. And of course, once you do feel it all, then of course, the main thing to remember is that Um, you know, in that sense, that feeling, um, you can see, you know, that uh, you're not happy with level two. That's why the suicide rate, depression rate, anxiety rate has gone up 60% pre-COVID in just a decade. So we got to get our kids back up to level three and level four, but self-motivatedly, they just getting out of the comparison game. hell. that's the way to do it. The third thing that the devil has been up to As he's changing all of the big categories of uh, cultural discourse. Remember when last year when I was talking about healing the culture. Remember I said there's these major areas of of, uh, cultural discourse which are now being brought down to level one and two so that the culture of death can take over from the culture of life. So, for example, um, just as there are four levels of happiness, there's four levels of freedom. What does the devil want? He wants us to have freedom levels one and two, right? Instead of three and four. He wants us to be freedom from people instead of freedom for people. He wants us to be fearful of commitment, not embracing commitment. And then the same thing with love, right? I mean, love one and two, let's face it. That's just narcissistic love. That's just love me. I want, you know, to be admired and I want your affection. But heck, I don't want to love you. Uh, and so forth and so on, right? That's a lot of trouble. So he's trying to move the notion of love from three and four to one and two. He's trying to move the uh, this is vis-a-vis assisted suicide, right? Trying to move the notion of suffering from level uh, three and four down to levels one and two, so that suffering, the only way of compensating for suffering, suffering has no value at all. That's what the devil's going to try and tell you. And this is to combat this, you have to go again back to CredibleCatholic.com, click on the seven essential modules, and this time go to module seven on why does God allow suffering and how to use your faith to suffer well. That seventh module is a very important tool for the young kids. But right now, they're getting sucker punched by the evil spirit. They're being brought down to suffering one and two, which is nothing more than stoic and Epicurean suffering, and so forth. And then finally, um, of course, he's also trying to control the notion of personhood. Of course he is, because if he can make you think that a person is reducible to just a bunch of materialistic things, instead of having a real transcendent soul destined for eternity, et cetera, he wins all the time. So notice, of course, uh, uh, we need to combat all three of these things. And the seven essential modules were designed to combat precisely those things that are killing our kids. And then once we've got those three things, you know, our kids adjusted, they got the evidence for God, the soul, and Jesus. They've got the evidence from miracles, even for Mary and the Holy Eucharist. They've got the four levels of happiness moving to three and four. They've got the rationale for why God would allow suffering. How do you suffering in their lives? Now bring on the guns. And combat what the devil has been saying all along through the last 50 years, the culture of death, the culture of narcissism, right? That's level one and two. Culture of death is obviously anti-life, kill uh, little pre-born bar- babies and kill elderly people. And of course, uh, uh, the culture of um, uh, unbelief and the culture of unbelief. So all of these things we can uh, redress. And we, I, we're the believers. Uh, we got to get, you know, we have to do it, not just with our own kids. We got to try and get the curricula into schools, you know, middle schools, high schools, everything. Uh, because don't let him get away with it. We Fight, fight, fight for our culture and our future of our kids. Okay, let's go to the next uh, item that uh, I'm just going to go through these deadly sins very, very quickly. Because, as usual, I have bloviated. So, Let's just, uh, I'm just going to talk about some illustrations of these things, and the reason I use literary illustrations is because they're good for us and they're good for the kids. Now, there's some biblical illustrations, which are so fantastic, of all of these sins, and I definitely think we ought to, especially, oh, David and Saul and so forth. I mean, this is, you can't beat the Bible for good illustrations, but it's not just the Bible that talks about these eight deadly sins literature is replete with examples of them. So just a real quick thing. First of all, of course, gluttony. Gluttony just refers to sensual overindulgence. So it's not just with respect to food, though certainly that, but also alcohol and drugs, things like that. But the main thing to remember is sensual excess, right? The great bottle of wine, the Chateaubriand, medium rare, Right. The bowl of linguine with the extra garlic, at least for me, et cetera, et cetera. It's making this an end in itself. That's where the mistake. Of course, there's legitimate level one happiness. Of course, it's OK to have a Chateaubriand or a good glass of wine, you know, and so forth. Of course, there's a place for that. But when it becomes the purpose of my life, of like, wow, when I get out of the seminar here. I can zoom back and have a Chateau Briand because that's what really makes life worth living. That's when we got problems. That's when the addictions take over, and of course, sensual excess always has an addiction. You get addicted to food. You can get addicted to alcohol. Addict, addicted to drugs. Addicted to sex, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So the idea is, what are the two ver- first? The best antithesis to these temptations to this deadly sin. Is prayer, prayer, prayer. The more we know the Blessed Mother, the more we uh, have this sense of her goodness and her love of us, the more we know our Lord and the more we have a sense of our uh, Heavenly Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, the more we have a sense of the, his love for us, then um, we've got a uh, But we um, we can combat temptation. So that's the most important thing. Develop our sacramental life. Develop our prayer life. Get that personal relationship with God. That's going to really be important in resisting temptation. Because after a while, you just don't want to go for the temptation. It's not because you fear the death or fear loss of salvation or fear hurting somebody else. Though Those are three really good motives. For wanting to resist sin, fearing the devil, and fearing uh, you know loss of salvation, and fearing um, you know hurting somebody—that's really good. But you're going to just say, "I, I love the Blessed Mother and I love the Lord too much to, to do this. I, I've I've been given everything by them. I I don't want to harm them. I don't want to harm you guys. I I don't want to do anything that would undermine you in the world or in my life. And that's the strong." Uh, resistance to temptation through the prayer life but there's also virtues and good virtues will help uh in the uh uh resistance to temptation so they build upon the prayer life so the main thing then to to notice is with uh gluttony uh drunkenness etc sensual excess the main thing is temperance is the big virtue that will complement uh our prayer life And so prudence also helps it because we know this is really dumb. If I keep eating like this or if I keep drinking like this or if I keep whatever like this with the essential excess, it will become an end in itself. And, you know, this is going to be horrible for my whole life. Okay, so that's the prudence is good. Temperance is good. Let's just quickly I'm not I'm going to dispense with some of these examples. Let's just quickly go to the second area, greed. I just think that uh, the end result of greed is presented by Charles, right? This is where you turn material possessions and material goods, uh, creature comforts, as it were, into uh, an end in itself. And what happens is you become like Ebenezer Scrooge. I think, you know, uh, honestly, that Dickens is a genius in A Christmas Carol. You know, that one scene, remember, where, um, you know the fellows come to uh, Scrooge's office, and they just say, "Oh, we're here. You know, we represent the poor, and we've got this fund going." And and Scrooge looks up and uh, up at them, and he says, "Well, gentlemen, I choose to give nothing. Oh, oh, you choose to give anonymously, then that's fine. No, gentlemen, I do not choose to give anonymously. I choose to give nothing. Nothing, sir. I mean." Uh, you, you are so wealthy. How can such be imagined? Uh, well, <laughs> I pay my taxes, don't I? Uh, and, and through those taxes, I, I give to the flop houses and to the poor houses and to the jails and prisons and to the workhouses, don't I? Oh, Mr. Scrooge, most people would rather be dead than to go to those places. Well, let them die then, and it will get rid of the surplus population. Now you look at that and go, "Oh, nobody could ever think that way." Oh, you know, when you get to Gordon Gecko style, well, bud, you know, you follow me. When you get seduced by material possessions, greed is very hard to stop. You can get to the Scrooge condition. That's the whole point to put out for our young people. I don't have you know, you people in the second week you're on this broadcast, but the main thing is, is this is a good illustrative example which gets the kid to thinking, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to become like that. I don't want to get into that. And that's why it's a good example. Of course, the counteracting virtue is justice and generosity. Um, But most important, the main way to resist temptation, back to the same thing, the prayer life that gets you closer to the Lord and to the blessed mother. That's what the main thing, the sacramental life, which will reinforce you with the grace of the Segment of Reconciliation. Okay, let's go to the third thing. I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to skip uh, examples now. But um, uh, the, the third area that is uh, pretty important is lust. I don't have to tell you. And the main thing with lust uh, is to, to note is that um, Anna Karenina, uh, which is a Leo Tolstoy novel, which I kind of have summarized there in uh, Christ versus Satan in our daily lives, Just look at the way she rationalizes everything. Look at the way she lies to herself. Look at the way she tells this false truth, uh, this false quote unquote truth to herself. Notice then that she's been moving. You know, when she falls in love with Count Vronsky, right? Everything's beautiful. Nothing could be wrong with this. My husband is just a rat. He just can't tolerate me going out with another person. I don't know why my son should need me as much as he does, but he probably doesn't care anyway whether I'm having an affair with Vronsky and so forth. And you you say, who can can possibly be deluded by these lies? When you're caught up in a deadly sin and you're moving more and more down the road of deprecation and you're moving down uh, that darkness of the evil spirit, you can talk yourself into anything. But I think it's so instructive because at the end, of course, as you know, the lie gets exposed by the evil spirit. Spare finally, you know, uh, Vronsky and uh, Karen and Anna Karenina. You know, they 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 get um, into a fight and they grow apart from each other. They bore each other. All the sex can't do anything for them anymore. And so at the end of the day, she winds up throwing herself. Well, I hope even if you read it, you won't mind myself saying, uh, ruining the the story. She throws herself in front of a train, and commits suicide because everything is gone. The illusion was taken over. Or was taken away from her, and it became her reality. That's what you want the kids to think about. Is yike? I don't want to be like her. I don't want to be throwing myself in front of a train out of lust. Couldn't. Couldn't happen to me. Oh yes, it could. Look at the lies. Look at how the evil spirit operates. Tolstoy's genius. Okay, just got to keep going. Uh, you know, I. I you know, sloth, I, I think you can pretty much get it. I mean, there's so many great. You know, Lydia. In Pride and Prejudice, I think a lot of people read that book uh, these days. Lydia, the youngest sister, who does all the alowman's horrible, you know, human being, just doesn't care about her family, doesn't care about what she does to to, to anyone. Anyway, she just wants to get what she wants, and she is really a, just a selfish little slothful, do nothing, study nothing, uh, you know, creature. Uh, there you got. But I think you know, um, Cecil vice, uh, in a Room with a View, you might remember that movie which was kind of big kid about twenty years ago. Cecil Weiss, that wonderful speech that he gives, you know, Mister Weiss, you know, what is your profession? My profession, <laughs> if I had to declare one, I, I suppose it would be leisure. <laughs> My philosophy, after all, hey, uh, altogether unjustified one, is that I might do whatever I please, so long as I don't hurt anyone. It is, after all, a sign of my decadence. He's proud of his decadence. Sloth is overcome, the same thing. We wanna create the impression, I don't wanna be like uh, Cecil Weiss, right? That's a horrible state to be in. Okay, the same thing, vanity. Uh, you know, don't have time to to go into this, but I think another great illustration for our young people is Norma Desmond in that great movie, Sunset Boulevard. It was a film noir classic, but, you know, she is the archetypal vain person, can't give it up. And finally, at the end, of course, the devil really has her. She's so far along the line. She's at the age of whatever it is, 75. She thinks that Cecil B. DeMille is going to come and give her a cameo role in his newest movie, et cetera, et cetera. And she's bought this whole package and illusion in her mind. And, of course, she kills a bunch of people. Well, Kilnall's actually the person who propagated the myth and then, you know, comes down her stairway when the police are there to arrest her and says, Mr. DeMille, I'm here uh, for my cameo. And uh, of course, that's the end of the movie. You look at that and you go, no one could be so deceived by vanity that they do something. Absolutely. So the thing we want to do is get the kids saying, "Yikes! I don't want to become like that. I don't want to get into that. But, you know, Satan's very crafty. And he gets these things going. I, I'm going to have to just finish up. Uh, you can see Hamlet is the uh, best one for anger. If anybody had a a reason to be angry, it was Hamlet. And so, so you know, Hamlet. Of course, he winds up because of his anger, uh, his justified anger about his uncle Claudius killing his father. He winds up killing. Um, you know, um, uh, his counselor, uh, and that winds up, you know, Ophelia, his fiancée, his daughter, and Laertes, the son of the counselor, they get all brought into it, and everybody dies at the end. Um, Yeah, he got Claudius, but his mother goes, you know, um, uh, uh, Ophelia goes, uh, Laertes goes, and Hamlet goes. So, and of course... Uh, um, you know, people should just I, I'd never let anger anger get out of control like that. Oh, yeah. You know, just look at Hamlet, you know, easy to do, easy to do when you're in the mode. Easy. The same thing. Yago. Shakespeare's Yago. So great in the play, Othello. No time to discuss it. And finally make OK, so what can we do uh, to stay away from the evil spirit? I've got just this. This is the chart to give to our kids. This is the chart to give to ourselves. This is at the end of the day, what the book is all leaning toward. We got to get back to the sacrament of reconciliation. And of course, this is such a powerful, powerful um, gift that we have been given. Uh, The book explains this in far more detail, the different graces. But of course, the grace of absolution is just the beginning. There's really a grace that separates us from the Evil spirit that really breaks the grip of the evil spirit, heals our sinfulness. These are powerful, powerful graces. I've seen this. If you ever go to a focus conference and you see some, you know, like 7,000 kids standing in line, I've, I've been in a, uh, the confessional along with 50 other priests until like two in the morning or something like that with these kids. They, it just turns their lives around. I mean, it, it palpably affects the whole atmosphere of what's going on in that conference when they're coming out and they're filled with that grace. Don't have time to talk about it anymore. The main thing, though, is um, this is really important. Top of the line for avoiding Satan's sacrament of breakfast. The more times we can go to the Holy Eucharist, this is such a powerful grace. I'll talk about it at another time, probably in another uh, um, uh, set of, uh, you know, I'll talk about the Eucharist or something next year or whatever I'm doing the next set of talks with Father Hezekiah. But the main thing is, Daily mass is helpful, even if you can't get every day. That don't worry. As many days as you can get, this is so powerful a grace. And so that we really want to um, uh, get that under uh, you know um, uh, into a habit. The the third thing, of course, is we want to be wedded to the moral teaching of Jesus Christ. We don't want to believe the cultural myth. I'm just finishing up a brand new book, which will be published by Ignatius in September called The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church in Defense of Her Controversial Moral Teachings. That's the one with all the statistics. Um, uh, Sophia Institute for Teachers bringing this out, and, and second semester, senior year, Moral Apologetics curriculum as well. That's going to be coming out in July of 2023, 20, um, so it'll be available in uh, July 2023. 20, so all these things you can... Boy, if you learn the lies uh, about what has been told about the moral court. every one of the church's controversial moral teachings is the whole course to sanity and love. It's the only way of protecting covenant love. Everything else is a lie, lie, lie from the evil spirit. Don't have enough time to talk about this. But the church's teachings need to be not only respected and followed. It is the path to life. It's the path to stay off of, of not only death and eternal death, but sanity itself, I mean, depression, You, when you ignore, and I've got the proof of billions of secular studies, not billions, but uh, 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 dozens of secular, uh, really first class secular studies show that if you go against the church's moral teaching, you're going to find yourself with increased depression, increased anxiety, increased uh, suicidal ideation, uh, increased uh, substance abuse, increased panic attacks, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's just over and over and over again. The devil's lies are finally exposed. And finally, of course, just a few other things. Uh, prayer life, as I said before, so important to start that prayer life, get close to our blessed mother and to get close to the Lord. And then because it just helps in resistance of temptation. And then finally, when we feel the devil you know, present around us, when we feel that he's lurking about, the main thing we want to say is, you know, in the name of Jesus, right? So in the name of Jesus, be gone, Satan. You too, you can make this command. This is, this is a kind of an imprecatory command in a sense. You know, you're just telling him, get away. And it, But you're not doing it all by yourself or by your power. In the name of Jesus, I'm telling you to get away. And the name of Jesus is very powerful Indeed. And then the prayer to Saint Michael is very good. You don't have to have the long prayer, right? Saint Michael, the Archangel defend us in battle be our safeguard against the wickedness, there's the devil. You can just do the short form. Saint Michael, come to my aid and repeat it three or four times. When you feel the sense of you know dread or the sense of emptiness or the, the sense of evil, real evil, or that pressure on the chest, etc. That's the prayer to Saint Michael. Uh, of course, the prayer, you know, in the name of Jesus, be gone, Satan. And then say your prayers to Mary or to uh, the Lord, the Our Father, etc. cetera. And then finally, of course, the best thing to do is what I've been exhorting you to all night long. We have to help people get on the path to salvation and stay on the path to salvation. I would just say, if you can, go to CredibleCatholic.com if you want to, to see some of those things. Um, especially the seven essential modules, everything's free. Just go there and start sharing it with the young people. And then when the SOFIA curriculum comes out for middle school, as well as for uh, um, high school seniors, uh, then, um, you know, look at that SOFIA Institute for Teachers website. Anyway, my apologies for bloviating and going over time. I just wanted to finish this up, but it's, uh, you can see, the devil's got us over a barrel, but never lose hope. Because there has been centuries upon centuries upon centuries of of times which were worse than our time, truly worse than our time, many of them. And so uh, we're in a pickle, but we're the resistance, and God will raise up the saint to help us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we just ask you to give us the sense of discernment, the sense of battling Satan, Who is around us and taking over our culture and and our young people's lives? We ask you, Lord, help us in this battle, not only for our own sake, but for the sake of our families and the sake of our culture, the sake of our church, so that we might, through your good graces and efforts and through the saints that you raise up for us, we may turn the tide of unbelief, the culture of death, and the culture of narcissism. Amen. Mary, seat of wisdom. Pray for us. name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.
2: Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Um, Why don't we take just a short one, two-minute break, and maybe just try to take a couple questions. I know I saw a panelist have a question. Inez, I think.
0: If you can talk about, um, you know, that, uh, remember when you were 15 years old, you know, that comes to your mind about that sin. Did you really... um, uh, Went for confession and confessed it properly, and that kind of, uh, of thing. Is that part of the attack that you're talking about?
1: Yeah, that's called scrupulosity. And it is um, um, uh, a sin that, that the, the or, I mean, a temptation that the evil spirit puts in for people of the second week. Remember, that's the people on the road to conversion. So um, at that time, uh, the devil sees you're making progress in your conversion. Then, of course, he wants to undermine you, He wants to cause discouragement, decrease in trust, hope and love. So what does he do? He starts saying, "Ha! now, back when you were 15, you probably tried to uh, avoid confessing this or you didn't confess it the right way or you didn't have sincerity in your heart when you were 16 years old. So all of a sudden he starts getting you to question everything that you did previously. Now, the best thing, of course, you could do, you know, is you could go to confession, right? Uh, one final time and say, you know, I just want to confess that I did a lot of things when I was younger and I may not have been sincere. Or I might have just skipped them over in my confession or something and get absolution. You know, priests like me, we hear this all the time and I just tell them, all right, I'm going to give you absolution for all your sin. From now on, don't be calling this stuff up again, because if you do, if you keep doing that to yourself, you're you're going to wind up with a decrease in trust, hope, and love. It's, you know, it's a, it's a classic devil coming as the angel of light second week temptation. And scrupulosity can be so virulent. It can be so difficult. But uh, basically, you know, get a confessor who, like Father Hezekiah or myself, would just say, okay. This is it now. This is the last time you have to confess this. You don't have to come back again. Even if you don't, you know, t- tomorrow you will probably think I wasn't even sincere when I went to confession with Father Spitzer. So now I gotta go back again. Don't go there. Just say it's definitive. And uh, you know, and so I say in, in the in in my absolution, and I absolve you from all your sin. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. And then I tell them afterwards, you've got to believe this. You don't have to confess this anymore. Don't do it. You're opening yourself up to the temptation of discouragement from the evil spirit. So I do give them a little warning.
2: Um, Connor, do you want to go ahead and unmute yourself if your raised hand is a question there?
3: Uh, So in times of desolation, you know, what are some ways that you can kind of Avoid getting deeper into desolation and despair. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, prayer is one, but when you're in when 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 Satan and 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 the evil spirits are you know tempting you with desolation and Mm -hmm. trying to get you to despair, Mm -hmm. obviously, the prayer isn't going to be fruitful. You're not going to have that that faith, hope, and love that you are going to have. When you're in a time of spiritual consolation mm-hmm. but obviously you want to persevere you want to pray but are there other tools that one can employ to help aid themselves in a time of desolation outside mm-hmm. of prayer if, if that makes sense or is it like just persevere with prayer
1: okay you know it's it's both it's a both and solution so uh, i wrote a Um, A couple of things. You can go to Amajacenter.com. magiscenter.com. So um, that's another one of our websites, magiscenter.com. And the one article you want is getting started on prayer. And that's got a bunch of spontaneous prayers in it. It's all free. So you can just download the articles. The main thing I want you just to remember these. I can't go into it in detail. Just remember these prayers. Number one prayer. Lord, push back the foreboding. So just use your hands and just sort of go, Lord, push back the foreboding. If there's something going on out there, you know, just push it back. Push back the darkness. Push back the emptiness. Just push it back, Lord. And you will see if you keep praying that prayer, you will get a little bit out of your feelings of depression and anxiety. Um, and not only that, you will see that you're putting yourself into providential hands. Another secondary prayer that's a very good prayer is, Lord, make good come out of, uh, these are spontaneous prayers. So, right, they're mm-hmm. not a contemplative prayer. So, Lord, mm-hmm. make good come out of the whatever um, uh, I'm feeling right now. Or, Lord, make good come out of the cross I'm experiencing right now. Make optimal good and optimal resurrection. Come out of the cross I'm experiencing right now, or Lord, make some good come out of this um, cross for me, for others around me, for my family, for the kingdom of God. Optimal good for me, for others, and for the kingdom of God from my suffering, etc. So to just pray that two or three times. Is a great part about spontaneous word they're short, they're easy to remember, and they're therefore good for repetition. And that can kind of calm us, because in contemplative prayer, when you're really uh, in a desolation mode, I mean, it <laughs> you're distracted from this angle, that angle, and every other angle. But at least you can repeat spontaneous prayers, and you'd be surprised how that galvanizes grace within you. Don't worry, the Holy Spirit will be operating in you uh, in those times, um, and, uh, you know, kind of can break the spell. A uh, third thing that's really important. If you're going and slumping into a big funk, just remember this prayer. Lord, I give up. I give up. You take care. Of it. And you just keep, you know, just put it in God's hands. God, got a lot of examples of how that prayer has worked in my own life, but Lord, I give up. You take care. Of it. That's really good, when, especially when you're trying to figure yourself out and you can't get out of the funk. You're going down deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. That's the a good prayer. Here's just here's a final prayer, but for the time being. But there's more prayers if you go to that montecenter.com. Um, the main thing is this prayer: Lord, Thy loving will be done. I'm telling you, it's good for depression. It's good for anger. It's good for fear, et cetera. It's good for temptation. Lord, Thy loving will be done. And all of these, remember, God's will is to do one thing in your life to bring optimal good optimal salvation, and optimal love to you and through you to others, right? So God's going to give you optimal salvation, optimal good, and optimal love. And through you, give others that you touch optimal good, love, and salvation. So that's the main thing. You just remember that and keep praying that prayer. You make yourself an instrument of God. You can break a lot of um, sort of depressions, and desolations. You can let a little of the grace and the light sink in, but then do your follow-up work. If you're a person of the second week, make sure you are not following the devil as an angel of light. Start counteracting that if you are, and make sure you're not slipping into a funk. So make sure you're not kind of flipping back toward the first week. If you're keeping an eye on whether you're flipping back to the first week and an eye on the angel of light, you can do the trick. You can basically, um, you know, uh, counter these things. And those prayers can become very, very useful.
2: Why don't we um, conclude with this question that's coming in from William? And this has to do with the discernment of spirits. He's asking about... um, Rule number two, to beware of false consolations. That's where there's effective consolation, but spiritual desolation. Father Spitzer, would you be able to give an example of what that looks like? He's having a hard time understanding what that really means.
1: Okay, remember, spiritual desolation is a decrease in trust, hope, and love. That's very, you know, it sometimes can be so disguised, right? So let's suppose you, you read a, uh, some theological opinion. And you just saying, oh, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, some, um, you know, the Jesus seminar is right, right? And I'm just convinced that Dominic Crossan uh, has the right thing to say about Scripture. He's, you know, anti-historicity of Christ or something. Now, of course, it might not be that obvious. You might have some other thing that you're thinking about. But let's suppose you've read this opinion and you just go, you know, I'm going to move over to that side of things. Or you're thinking, you know, now that I listen to all these people, uh, you know, on the social media here who are telling me about wokeism, I'm beginning to think that's really, that's pretty much says it all. And so you start following the wokish ways and people accept you, people patting you on the back, you're so enlightened now, et cetera, et cetera. And then finally, of course, you start finding yourself as you're doing this. You find, you know, you're separating yourself off from God. The Nietzschean and Marxist and Freudian effects are starting to happen. And as they happen, right, because this is really their agenda writ large again, as you begin to see that, all of a sudden you say, I'm being separated from God. I trust him less. I, I, I you know, I think I'm, you know, I'm done for my salvation, and, you know, and you become just irritable and impatient and uncharitable and unkind, etc." cetera. You All of a sudden, and it takes you by storm. Stop, because that consolation you are feeling, you might have even felt you were in communion with God. God truly is the wokish kind of person, and to be woke is to be like God. You can honestly believe these things and get a great deal of feeling of, I'm on the road to heaven, I'm on the road to a great life, I know I got to trust Christ in the church a little less, but I think this is right. This is where the modern current is. You can feel a whole lot of consolation around that, and you can be so wrong that by one month's time, you can be in the pits and not know why. And even worse, you can feel angry toward God that you're in the pits. I'm not kidding you. This happens uh, all the time. Anyway, um, I know I've gone over time, but I am so grateful uh, for the time with you. And uh, uh, whoever that benefactor was, thank you so very, very much for making that book available. These things will become clear with the examples in the book.
2: Wonderful. Thank you so much. And on behalf of the Institute of Catholic Culture, Father Spitzer, thank you for being with us these past two Tuesday evenings. Um, Would you mind concluding in in prayer and giving us your blessing?
1: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. (laughs) Heavenly Father, again, we give you thanks for your blessing to us. Give us discerning hearts, and give us wise hearts. Give us a knowledge of the heart of your Son, and your Blessed Mother, uh, and uh, the Blessed Mother. And please, Lord, help us and direct us through your Holy Spirit to that greater conversion, to that ability to help others, and to reverse the tide of unbelief and narcissism and death in our culture. We ask all of these things through Jesus, our Lord. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray for us. In name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And let me give you a benediction. And may Almighty God bless you and help you and send His Spirit down upon you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed this program from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Remember to download our app and share our online library with friends, co-workers and family members. To learn more, get involved and support the Institute's work. Visit instituteofcatholicculture.org and visit us on social media.